Welcome to the Survive, Scale, Soar podcast. Hear and learn through the success of others how to build the life and business you deserve. Learn to overcome failure, what it means to seek out growth, and how to become the best possible version of yourself. And now, here's your host, coach, entrepreneur, husband and father, and author of the number one best-selling book, Survive, Scale, Soar, Jeremy Williams. And welcome back to the Survive, Scale, Soar podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy. Just a quick reminder, this show comes in two formats. We have Real Talk, where it's just me and the mic sharing about things that are happening in our world, how it can impact your business. And then there's Success Talks, and that's where I get to talk with individuals at the top of their respected industry, and they share with you what has made them successful. Now, today's talk is going to be a little different. It's going to be a combination of a real talk, but it's not going to just be me, and it's going to be a success talk. And I'd like to welcome our guest, Don Harris. He is a realtor with Keller Williams Realty Maui, and he's going to be joining us today on the show talking about uh, the the devastating fire that that hit Lahaina uh, a few months ago, and um, man, it's sad because it was such a tragic event, and you just don't hear about it anymore. So I'm glad to have Don coming onto the show talking about you know what happened at that time, and also you know still the recovery efforts that are happening now. I, I think it's really important to keep conversations like these um, at at the top of people's minds. So Don, welcome to the show. Aloha. <laughs> aloha. I love yeah. that. I, yeah, I, I even go ahead, Don. I was gonna say I traded my howdy for an aloha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fellow fellow Aggie. Uh yeah, I, I and I wore it today. I, I typically dress up for these, but I was like, you know, I'm gonna wear my dull plantation uh t-shirt that my wife brought back to me from, from Hawaii. I, I wanted to be in theme with with our conversation today. Uh so so Don, tell us about life on Maui before the fire? You know, it's pretty awesome. We have people all the time asking, you know, what's the difference between winter and summer? You know, do I need to bring warm clothes for winter? And kind of the temperature in Lahaina specifically. Uh, in the summer, it's low 70s to high 80s, maybe low 90s. And in the summer, it's high 60s to mid 80s. So it's pretty much always the same temperature. One of the reasons I moved there was so I can wear shorts and an Aloha shirt and flip-flops. We call them slippers in Hawaii. But uh, that's my normal everyday dress for my real estate business. <laughs> that's that's got to be amazing. That was one of the things my wife brought back. She's like, the temperature never really changed. No, so it's it was the same all the time. Absolutely beautiful. Do you all get a lot of rain there? Uh, in Lahaina, we don't. But to give you an example of how much the weather changes on the island, Lahaina gets about 11 to 12 inches of rain a year. Going about five miles north to Ganapali, it gets about 24 inches of rain a year. And go another five miles to Kapalua, and it gets about 45 to 50 inches of rain a year. So depending where you are on the island, it could just be a few miles apart. There's a huge change in weather. Yeah, so it almost kind of it sounds almost, I know Vegas gets a little less rain than that. Uh, but it kind of sounds like that where almost every day is a sunny day. It is. And specifically, that's one of the reasons that I chose to live in Lahaina, because I can go outside and it's almost always guaranteed that it's sunny and not raining and beautiful. And literally, that's pretty much how it is every single day. 
So Don, I, I know uh, people are going to be very interested in the the conversation we're about to have, and that's that's with the fire that took place in, in Lahaina, mm-hmm. and uh, absolutely devastating, burning everything on the ground and even underground. I, I heard even like some of the sewer systems mm-hmm. in the area were impacted because of the tremendous amount of heat. Right. Uh, tell me about what happened. So I know you weren't actually there during the fire. Tell us tell us a little bit about that. Correct. So my daughter got married August fifth. So I was actually in Texas at the time. I, I had already planned to stay till the following Sunday. Um, and then, of course, the fire happened on the 8th on a Tuesday. Um, so I was watching it from here, you know, on social media and trying to text all my friends and find out what was going on. Little did I know all the phone lines were out. There was no texting possible. So the people in Lahaina and West Maui were completely closed out. There were people just a few miles away from Lahaina that had no idea that the whole town had burned down. Um, so over the next couple of days, you know, I'm constantly on social media trying to get any information because I don't know if my place survived, you know, because we were getting reports. This whole neighborhood's gone. That whole neighborhood's gone. And then the next day, of course, there were some flyby videos and you could see the devastation. But they didn't fly close enough to my area for me to tell if mine had survived. So about two days later, there was actually, wasn't quite a satellite view, but it was a pretty high airplane view. And I was able to stop it, you know, on YouTube. And I could kind of see that it looked like most of the buildings in my neighborhood were standing. But you still didn't know, you know, because you could only see a rooftop view. So you didn't know what the sides looked like or anything. How did, how, did that, uh, next, how did that feel like when you're you're sitting there and, and and you have no communication with the people that you love, your friends and everybody that's right. there on the island? What was that feeling or emotion that you had while you're waiting? Well, you know, especially when you see what was destroyed and knowing the type of population that was there, because especially. So if, if someone's watching this and they're familiar with Lahaina, Front Street is the business district, and it's probably the biggest um, visitor draw on the island. So that's where everybody goes, tons of restaurants, shopping, all kinds of stuff. A block off of that and then up the mountain, which is called Malka, towards the mountain, uh, is all housing. And there, there are a very few uh, vacation rentals in Lahaina. The majority is just where people live. And a lot of those are multi-generational families. So, you know, grandma, grandpa bought it in the 40s or 50s. It was paid off years ago. And now there is their kids and maybe grandkids living in the house. And they've added on, done all this stuff. And so all these were wood houses. And much of them, I'm afraid, are going to have been uh, uninsured. So it's going to be super devastating. But with all that in mind, I had tons of friends that lived in the area, can't get a hold of them. So I don't know who survived because the fire really went from the top down to Lahaina in about 30 minutes. You know, we had 70, 80 mile hour winds and it covered, I think they said it's about five square miles of area that was gone. Um, Matter of fact, of the four places that I've lived since I moved to Maui, two of them burnt down. Uh, So it's kind of crazy to think two of the places that I lived are gone. Uh, I have multiple clients that lost their properties, multiple friends that lost their properties. I did lose some friends. There were some of my, some people that I know that passed away. I have friends that 
if you heard the stories, had to run and jump in the ocean to escape the flames. And they were in the water for five hours. And they said the wind was blowing so strong that embers were literally hitting them sideways. And they're out 50, 100 yards in the water. Uh, I have friends that literally ran through the streets to, to Kanapali to get away. And they said the flames were shooting straight across the street. It wasn't like a fire where the house is burning, the fire's going up. The flames are going across the street. So they said it was almost like Frogger. You know, you mm. see this flame going, and you have to wait, and then it kind of ease up for a second, and then have to run. So totally, totally terrible, devastating. And on top of that, you know, so many cars were getting stopped. The black, the smoke was so blacked out that people couldn't get around cars. So it backed up and it just, just terrible, terrible situation. Um, so, you know, all that happens. And over the next couple of days, I'm trying to figure out if my place survived. And then one of my friends was able to finally get a hold of me and I guided him into my condo. I gave him the codes and everything. And he said, everything appeared to be fine. Uh, I did have some ash in the condo, but I was super lucky that mine survived. So Saturday, I got to Maui on Friday, but I couldn't get to Lahaina on Friday because all the roads were still blocked. So I was able to get there Saturday and saw that it, basically I was safe. You know, everything was okay. Um, however- no, no food, no water, no electricity. Right, there, yeah, there's just no power, no water. Um, I did stay there one night because we'd heard all these stories about looting and all that stuff. So I was, wanted to protect the little that I had there. Um, and within a day or two, National Guard came in and cordoned off the whole area. And so with the toxicity of the air and no water, no power, uh, I was kind of forced to leave. I mean, they didn't make me leave, but basically you can't live there. So until late October, I actually lived in 11 different places, uh, which was not fun. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had to constantly move for three months, but it's not enjoyable. Uh, and, you know, I tried to not use the FEMA resources because I was a single guy and, you know, I had insurance and I, I had made sure that I was okay. So I tried not to use any FEMA or Red Cross resources because I knew there were so many families that needed it. And that's why I stayed in so many different places. I have so many friends that were just wonderful and allowed me to, to stay in their places and offered, you know, whatever I needed. Um, and, you know, I guess that's kind of the, the short story of how it went until I moved out. But the area is still devastated. You know, there are still thousands of people that don't have a permanent place to live yet. So when I, I want to go back and, and this is you're in the real estate industry. So, I, you know, I want to kind of go back and talk about a couple of things that you mentioned. You said a lot of the the homes in and around Front Street were, were wooden construction, you know, yes. highly combustible. And wasn't the construction on your, your condo unit a lot different? Yeah, so it was, it was completed in 2019 and 20. My particular unit was finished in 2020, but it had hardy plank siding, you know, cement fiber siding and new asphalt roofs. And they think that that's a big part of why ours survived. Um, because my patio furniture has burn holes all over it. So there was definitely embers all over the place. Uh, there were 
four condo buildings and one house in my neighborhood that burned. And I think what happened is the wind blew up the shingles, then embers were getting inside the shingles and then able to burn. Or that maybe there were some open windows and embers went in. Because there's a lot of people in Maui that don't have air conditioning by choice, you know, because, you know, if it doesn't really get that hot and there's always a breeze, it's usually pretty comfortable inside. But um, in general, the only structures that survived were the newer construction uh, buildings. And then the, the economic destruction. Um, you talked about these homes, a lot of them were generational. Uh, yes. Probably already paid off, uh, didn't have didn't have insurance. And you think of, you know, what what the cost to build it today versus, you know, back in the, the 50s and the 40s. Right. Um, you know, talk a little bit about that. Like what how I, I want people to grasp the the amount of destruction, not just not just the lives, but also just the financial yeah. destruction of that. Can you talk a little bit about that? You bet. Now you got to take into account that Hawaii is a much more expensive place to build than the mainland. Uh, labor is expensive, but shipping and materials is super expensive. And then on top of that, you know, coming from Texas, it's a business friendly state. It seems like everyone is trying to help you in government to, you know, be successful. Hawaii is not that way. Hawaii, it seems more like they put up roadblocks rather than trying to help you. So we have permitting problems on Maui uh, just normally. And then on top of that, much of Lahaina is in what's called a special management area that has additional permitting requirements. And then there's even another part of Lahaina that's inside that special management area that's a historical area. So it has even more permitting issues. So because of all those permitting issues, it's harder for people to stay up with proper construction types and, and methods because it can take six months to a year just to get a permit approved. So a lot of times people just throw up whatever they want to throw up. You know, they'll just put in a kitchen, put in an extra room, do whatever without getting it permitted. Uh, matter of fact, I saw a statistic earlier that uh, a couple months ago after this happened, that the average cost of red tape, government stuff, for a new construction affordable housing unit in, Ma in Hawaii is about $230,000. So that's on top of the labor and materials. So give you an idea, um, it is not unusual for a one bedroom condo, residential condo to cost 500 to $600,000. You're talking 400 to 600 square feet. So when you get these houses that are older, you know, they're 1,800 square feet, 2,000 square feet, to rebuild that now would probably be a million and a half with new construction materials, permitting issues and everything. And of course, the people that live in them, generally speaking, are working one or two jobs as it is, maybe three jobs. They're multi-generational families, so they don't have the money. So with all these people either not insured or most likely underinsured, you know, because I doubt they kept raising their insurance protection as the years went by. It will be hundreds of millions or billions, depending on who takes over that cost. If the government takes that cost on, it's going to be a huge problem for the taxpayers. Um, and they try to pass that on to visitors. So that makes it more expensive to visit Maui, which decreases the visitors. 
So now we have less taxable dollars coming in. So it's it's a vicious circle. But I've I've heard two billion dollars as the cost to rebuild just Lahaina, and you know that doesn't take into account all the thousands of jobs that were lost in Lahaina, and it also doesn't take into account because the government and people, especially people that didn't live on Maui, were telling everyone not to come to Maui. The, the entire Maui economy took a nosedive. So we've lost tons, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of tax revenue island-wide. And we've lost so many jobs that people have started leaving the island. Um, I, I know multiple people that didn't lose their property in the fires, but the loss of the economy and the big hit the economy took caused them to have to leave. So it's it's been terrible all around. It really has. So, you know, you hear these things, and, and, you know, there's tons of conspiracies and and all these things, but there's some reality, I think, to the to the situation. Do these do these families not have the money to come back uh, to rebuild? And do you see resorts coming in to to take on some of that land um, because they'd have the deeper pockets? Like what? What happens, how, do, how does it look different in the next five to 10 years? So I do think that the Front Street business area will be rebuilt fairly quickly, fairly quickly be in two to three years. Uh, the residential areas, I think are gonna take a long time. They still haven't even started cleaning the debris yet. Uh, I've read that they're supposed to start cleaning it next month, but that's gonna take a year or two. Um, one of the challenges on Maui and in Hawaii is a lot of people, even though they vote for the government, they don't trust the government. So one of the things that they have to do is they have to sign a document, a right of entry document that allows the Army Corps of Engineers to come in to clean the properties. Well, there's all this misinformation, you're talking about conspiracy theories, all this misinformation that, that a lot of the locals think if you sign that document, they're gonna take your land you're signing your land over and that's not what's happening. They just have to have the right to come in to remove the debris. So there's gonna be a lot of lots that don't get cleaned at all. Well, if they are paid off, it's not that bad, right? They're not spending money monthly, but if they're not paid off, they're spending mortgage money you know, monthly on that. So that's a huge expense. But what I think is gonna happen in the long term is there are gonna be a lot of properties where the people like we're talking about can't afford to rebuild it. So they're gonna, in essence, be forced to sell it. Now, granted, a lot of these lots are up the side of the mountain and have unbelievable ocean views. And if you've been to Maui in the winter, you can be on the land up the mountain and see whales jumping all over the place. So it's gonna be spectacular views. So they could still probably sell their lots for half a million to a million dollars. Um, and I think that's what'll end up happening to a lot of people they'll do that. And they're gonna move somewhere in the mainland where they can buy a house for, $300,000 and have $700,000 left over to retire or you know live life on the mainland much cheaper. But it will change the demographics, I think. I don't think the way Lahaina is situated, it's not really an area where resorts could come in because it's just too much of a residential area. And the government, I just can't imagine, is going to allow it. There's, there's already an outcry of too much um, vacation property on Maui. So I, I do think that there'll be wealthier individuals that can come in and will buy properties, you know, buy lots and build. So in 20 years, 
Lahaina will look great. You know, it'll be up-to-date construction, everything will look pretty, but it will be a lot different demographically, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I think that just goes back to kind of example of the the devastation that took place, right? That yeah. you tell me, hey, it's in 20 years, it's going to be, it's going to be great. Yeah. And that's, that's quite a long time. It is. It is. And, and I do think there'll be a lot of housing built in the next five years, but there's going to be a lot that's going to just be argued about for a long time. And, you know, they'll, you'll probably still be able to pick up individual lots in 10 years that have not been rebuilt. So that's why I say 20 years, 20 years is probably what it'll take to have everything rebuilt. Don, I've got people that are listening. Most of these are small business owners that are listening on this uh, podcast episode today. Uh, let's just put let's put one of the conspiracy theories to rest. Um, and, and I think you probably have better intel on this than anybody. You were you were there. Uh, was was this fire created by blue lasers? <laughs> no. Yeah, for anyone that really knows West Maui specifically, and really all of Maui, the winter is wet, the summer is dry. We have fires every year. Matter of fact, on my Facebook memories, I, I have photos and video of fires every year that I've lived here. Matter of fact, last year, 2022, there's a Lahaina L, Lahaina Luna L up on one of the mountains above Lahaina. That whole mountaintop burned last year, like in October, November. So we were just fortunate at that time, the wind wasn't pushing the fire down. Otherwise, that would have probably hit more houses because it would have hit some of the ones further up the mountain that this fire didn't. So unfortunately, it's a common occurrence here. And some of it's caused by power lines that fall. Um, and, you know, people say, well, why don't you bury all your power lines? Well, if you live on a volcano, there's really hard rock all around. And I have friends that have built houses and just to dig a pool or you know the the foundation area or just even a utility trench can cost tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of dollars because they might have to blast rock or pull up huge boulders that take massive equipment to get out of the ground so to build thousands of miles of underground cabling who's going to pay for that you know ultimately it gets passed on to the consumer and i don't know what the current texas uh, electric rates are, but when I left, it was like eight cents per kilowatt. On Maui, it's typically 35 to 45 cents per kilowatt. So it's already devastatingly expensive to use electricity. And if you added all those other costs that make it safer on Maui, for sure, I don't know who could afford the electricity. Yeah, it'd be unaffordable. And yeah. like, like you said, it'd get passed down you know, it gets passed down to the residents and it gets passed down to yeah. the, the the visitors. And, yeah. and then, you know, you get into that, like you were describing er, earlier, that vicious, vicious cycle. Yeah. Uh, so are you back, are you back in your home in Lahaina or not? Yeah. So at the end of October, I was able to get serve pro, which is a remedi remediation company come in and they cleaned my condo, cleaned my attic, took all the insulation out. Um, and then I brought in air purifiers and an air quality monitor that I can actually monitor from my phone here from Texas. And so my air is actually probably cleaner than anyone's air here in Texas. <laughs> Matter of fact, my, uh, there are actually air monitor stations outside all over the place and I can pull them up. And almost every time 
Lahaina air has less volatile chemicals than air here in the woodlands. So it, it's safe. I wouldn't go playing in the debris or anything, but it's relatively safe now. Our water is still not technically approved to drink. Um, that should be coming in the next month. However, multiple people in our neighborhood have had their water tested repeatedly, and it's always come back as drinkable. So I'm not concerned about it. I will wait for the county to give us the, the official approval. But uh, other than that, I can live in my condo. Now, earlier I talked about National Guard. I still have to go through a National Guard checkpoint to get to my condo. And all the areas that are burnt still have uh, fencing put up and there's this black tarp that they put, which is another conspiracy theory. Um, there's black tarp that's put up on the fences and the purpose of it is to minimize dust spreading or debris spreading because it is windy on Maui. Uh, of course, the conspiracy theory was they're putting up all that black tarp so that the government can come in and do all kinds of evil, nefarious things, you know, while people can't see it. But that's just not true, along with the blue lasers. <laughs> yeah. So, so it does make it probably a little inconvenient to get get in and out. Um, how long do they think that type is set up with the National Guard on site? You know, how long is that that going to be in place, do you think? They haven't said, but my guess is they'll be there at least as long as it takes for them to clean the debris. Um, and I mean, it's, the fencing goes around the, the entire perimeter of the burn area. So it's, you know, five square miles. So what is that? 20 miles of fencing-ish. Well, I guess we don't have the seashore side fenced, but I think it'll probably be there for two years, most likely. Now they may they may move the National Guard entrance beyond our neighborhood at some point, but right now where it's located, there's not much more you could move it without opening up some of the debris area for people to go see. And, you know, I've intentionally, I do a lot of social media we get to the real estate part, we can talk about that. But I've intentionally not videoed or shown a lot of pictures of the devastation because it's it's everywhere. You can find it everywhere. And out of respect for my friends that lost their lives or their properties, you know, it's just not something that I want to promote is is more of the devastation. Yeah, I, I, and I think that's, that's to be respected. And yeah. I, I know you've shared that on some of your posts. And, um, you know, sometimes I'd see in the comments and people just didn't get it. But I, I think it's different when you're looking at it through social media and you've actually experienced yeah. it. Like it's it's not a story to you. It's it's right. like it's your life. Well, yeah. literally coming out of my condo across the parking lot from me, one of the buildings that burned is down. So it's like 40 feet from my front door. So it's visible. I mean, it's right there. And I, I have friends that live there. Right. And none of them were hurt. You know, they all escaped. But the four buildings that burned are right next to my building. So I don't go a day without seeing the devastation, even if I don't leave my condo. You know, it's just just right there in front of you. So it's it's something to be treated with the, the right respect. And I don't like that there are so many people that are doing it for clicks, you know. And I think too, and I know you probably feel this way is there, it's almost like survivor's guilt 
mm-hmm. um, you know, going back and, you know, your, your walls are standing, you're, you're yeah. able to, to get back in and, and yet feet away, you know, people yeah. on a personal level that they lost everything they, they had. And some of them even lost right. their life and yeah. um, to, you know, to not even be there, you were in Houston, you know, we talked about that before we, we jumped on that you yeah. would have been there. Oh yeah, for sure. And um, you know that's that's a that's very personable, and and I, I respect and I appreciate Don for for taking that stand, uh, because a lot of people do things for clicks today. We all know that. Yeah. yeah. And um, you know, I, I I think to be able to say, hey, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna reserve that for just my own personal being. <laughs> I think that's that's very respectable. Yeah. Um. So we're, we're, we're talking about a 20 year plan for Lahaina to, to come back on. And, and um, that day we do say it's a long time yet. It's amazing how years pass. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've known you for some time now. And I look back and I was like, you know, I met Don, I think in 2012 mm-hmm. and um, you know, that seems like yesterday and it's not, right. <laughs> it yeah. just, it just blows, blows by so fast. Yeah. So um, there, there is hope in that, uh, knowing that Lahaina is going to come back, um, mm-hmm. take your money and spend it on Maui. Uh, the economy yes. needs it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think the, the other thing too, is to always not forget, you know, it's amazing what the media can do is, you know, it stirs up and, you know, it focuses intensely on something and then it goes away. Right. And, um, Tell me about that before we jump into your real estate business. How how can people help if they want to want to somehow help? You know, honestly, and there is a big split on this. What I'm going to talk about on Maui, there are those that say stay away, don't come back, and there are those that are saying come back, we need you. I'm in the come back, we need you side of this. You know, Lahaina is gone, and when you drive to the west side. You, you have to necessarily drive around it so you can see that it's gone. And there's a, even with the fencing, there are portions that you can see and it's just, it's like a movie set. I mean, it's hard to believe that it was a town. But beyond that, Kanapali, just two miles north of Lahaina, is normal. Kanapali up to Kapalua, Nepali, Kahana, all that's normal. There are people that live there that need you to be there spending money on your vacation because even if their job isn't directly tied to that, it may be it's a service job that caters to the services, you know. So when The Rock specifically and all these people were saying, well, when not when The Rock, it was Jason Momoa. Sorry about that, Rock. <laughs> uh, he was saying, don't come to Maui. And the governor was saying, don't come to Maui. And all these people, the mayor was saying, don't come to Maui. It devastated the West Side specifically. Because, you know, there are another 15,000, 20,000 people that live on the west side outside of Lahaina that suddenly lost their jobs completely, you know, and it was a couple months and they weren't getting the COVID relief that people on Maui were getting during COVID. So it was super devastating. So the best thing that you can do, come to Maui, you know, if you can't find a place on the, the west side to stay, stay on the south side, but come to the west side. You know, visit. There's still got tons of beaches. Uh, there are a lot of places, a lot of condos that are putting up families, which is great. Um, so there's not as much housing as there was, or not as much vacation rentals as there was, but there's still plenty. And, you know, think about most of the, most of the vacation rentals owned on Maui are owned by someone somewhere else. 
right? So maybe Jeremy's got a vacation rental on the west side and I've got plenty of clients that do. Well, they need you to come, right? It's, it's not that, that they don't want to help locals, but if locals aren't renting their place, they need their place rented too. So go there, support the economy. Uh, there are a bunch of charities to give to. I completely stayed out of the vetting the charities aspect because I don't want some charity to do something wrong that I promoted. So you can, you can look up charities and see if there's one that you like, but best thing to do would be, just be come to Maui. I, lo I love that. You know, it's, it's amazing in, in times of tragedy when people turn away the, the people that can help. And, you know, I think, I think you're spot on, like bring the money where it directly impacts the economy. Yes. And um, so, so that's, that's great. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I want to, I want to jump now into your real estate business uh, in particular. There's a lot of people that want to move out your direction uh, get a second house. Uh, Don, you've been in the business, real estate business for 13 years. Um, you were here in the the Woodlands, Texas area. That's where we we had met. Right. Um, now you're with Keller Williams Realty, Maui. Uh, it's got to be a beautiful place to, to work. Uh, tell us about your real estate business. You know, it's awesome. Part of, part of why I moved to Maui was to get out of the rat race and out of the, the busyness of Texas and the mainland. So my normal day is in, like I said, shorts and Aloha shirt and flip-flops. We want to look at multi-million dollar properties, <laughs> you know, and several hundred thousand dollar properties all over the island, meeting with people who've always had a dream of moving to Maui or buying a place on Maui. And uh, it's so, you know, not to say that real estate on the mainland wouldn't be as fun, but when someone's buying on Maui, I always say, you don't, you don't have to buy on Maui, you get to buy on Maui. And you get to buy on Maui because you've been successful somewhere else and you've had a dream. So when I'm helping people on Maui, it's awesome because I'm literally helping dreams. You know, people cry <laughs> when they buy properties here. And it's awesome to be able to share in that experience. Um, it was, you know, you as a real estate coach would never tell someone, hey, go move somewhere where you don't know anyone and start a real estate business. Right. Because it's all who you know. So it was hard to get started. You know, I moved here, um, held tons of open houses, uh, went to all the trainings that we had with KW on the island to kind of figure out what people did. Uh, but probably the key was social media for me. Um, when, when we were getting ready to move here, I was married at the time that we moved here. We didn't really tell anyone that we we're going to move to Maui because, you know, I had a corporate job in addition to my real estate stuff and I didn't want anything getting messed up with my corporate job before I was ready to turn in my notice. So we didn't tell anybody. We turned in my two-day notice. We told everybody and uh, moved to Maui. And then people were emailing me constantly saying, hey, how did you do that? So I was writing these long emails and you know how long it takes to write an email sometimes. It'd be an hour, two hours to write whatever, respond to whatever they had. And I was like, man, this is just killing me. You know, it's taking too much time. And then we, my ex-wife and I had created a, a Facebook group between us where before we moved here, we were sharing, you know, uh, properties to consider or, you know, how do you move your pets? What's the best way to do whatever? So we were sending that stuff back and forth to each other so we could both keep up with it. So I was complaining one day about all these emails and my ex-wife goes, well, why don't you start a Facebook group? So I started a Facebook group called Move to Maui and it's still there now. Um, 
about how to move to Maui. It wasn't, it wasn't to get me real estate business. It's literally, what is Hawaii like? What is Maui like? What do I need to know? How do I ship my car? What do I do about pets? You know, how do I find a place? What are rentals like? What's just anything to do with Maui life? Um, and it just started growing and growing and growing. And now I've got 7,500 people in the group. And I've actually got about 250 people that I haven't vetted yet because I look over everybody's profile before I let them in um, because of the fire. <laughs> that became a, a, not as big a priority. But January, I'll start going back through that. But through that group, people began to get to know me as a human. And, you know, I also have a social media presence with my real estate business on Facebook. So then they'd go over there and start looking at that and figure out that I knew what I was talking about, in addition to knowing that I liked Maui and that I was a good guy. And so I started getting a lot of business from that group. I still really don't promote myself as a realtor in there. I mean, people know I am because I'll share stuff from my real estate page, but it is not a solicitation group. And it's intentionally not a solicitation group. Um, it's an information group. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with Ninja Selling by Larry Kendall. I'm a huge Ninja Selling proponent. Um, so I like the idea of attracting versus pursuing. So all this leads back to what you're asking about life on Maui. Because I've created a system where people come to me, I really don't have to spend time lead genning. So I wake up, I do my little morning exercise, I do the business that I need to do, answer the emails I need to answer, go do the real stuff stuff I need to do, and then respond to the people asking me to help them. So it's been pretty wonderful. And honestly, the last few years, this is probably gonna get a little bit TMI here, um, at late 2021, my dad had cancer and started getting in bad health. So I actually left Maui in October, at the end of September and was here until almost May. I went home, went back to Maui for about uh, a month total, two different times. I was caring for my dad. He finally passed away in April of 2022. So I stayed about another month and kind of helped my mom get resettled. And then I went back to Maui and my ex-wife and I decided to get divorced. So then I went through that whole process and was still dealing with, you know, our agreements and whatever to get through the divorce. And then the fire happens. And so I got back in my condo at the end of October, but then I came to Texas um, at the end of November for Christmas with family. So I've only been home for a month in the last six months. And I've really only been, well, I really haven't been real estate focused for the last two to three years. But because of that attraction and the group and the people and networking referrals, I do over 10 million in volume every year um, with zero lead gen. So yeah, I think from a real estate amazing. perspective, it's great, you know. I think that's amazing. Yeah, and, and I appreciate you sharing that because there's a lot of people out there. Well, people will come to coach with me and they're like, okay, how do I have my, my social media presence? And, you yeah. know, how do I, how do I go get more leads and, you know, all these different things. And, and I, I appreciate you sharing that you're actually utilizing the law of attraction to right. your business um, as opposed uh, to, to all the ways that sometimes we're told or the world yeah. tells us we need to do things. 
you going a little counterculture. I'm a counterculture person. I like to, to go against the grain. I think that's where all the growth happens anyways. Um, you know, I, I really do appreciate you, you sharing that. Uh, and if you're listening to this on the, the podcast or you're watching it on YouTube is know that there, there are other ways, um, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to go follow all the salmon, you know, upstream, you know, go the right. other way. Uh, there's, there's opportunity out there. And yeah. so thank you for sharing that. Well, you know, if you're genuine, you attract people. And I, I just send out information and I help people. I can't tell you how many people that rent that I help. And I do not do rentals. I make zero money on rentals, but I've spent so many hours helping somebody figure out how to find a rental uh, or just answer any question they need to do that has no financial impact on me because I do believe in that, put the good out in the universe, the universe will bring back good. Yeah, it's a, but, it's a giver's gain, right? So you can give yeah. and you know it's going to return. It might not return right then, but right. you know at some point though, it's going to come back around to take care of you. Well, and you know you can sleep good at night because all I'm worried about is helping people. I, I That's the best thing about my career here on Maui versus in Texas when I was in corporate America is all I do is help people. And I don't do it expecting anything. It just it's just fun to get to know that I'm helping somebody to have a better life, you know? So that's awesome. So I'm, I'm here on the mainland and I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to buy a second house or maybe, you know, hell with it. I'm just going to move to Maui. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do people get in touch with you? How can they find you? So first thing you need to do is join the move to Maui Facebook group. You can find it's got a little rainbow with a palm tree. Um, you can reach me at Don Harris at kw.com. Uh, Don Harris Maui is my website, uh, KW website, but really social media is the best place to be. And, and I'm going to expand into YouTube. That's one of my targets for this year is to, to get more YouTube information up, but it's easy to do. You can find me on Facebook, Maui, Don Harris, Don Harris, Maui, either one of those will, will get you right to me. Great. And if you're watching the video or if you're listening to the podcast, uh, the links will be down in the description, so you'll be e- able to easy, easily find it and connect with Don. Uh, Don, I want to thank you for taking time out. You know, we're in the mi- middle of the, the Christmas break. We're between Christmas and, and New Year for you taking the time yep. to share uh, the, the story of Lahaina, uh, the, the, uh, talking about the island of Maui, how, how we can help as mm-hmm. well. I uh, appreciate you sharing that with us. And then also, uh, sharing with us about your business. And, and I encourage you, I've known Don for a long time. If you're ever considering going out that direction, uh, you're definitely going to want to work with Don Harris over at Keller Williams Realty Maui. Yeah. Yeah. If nothing else, give me a, a shout out and I'll tell you where to go spend your money. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, the activities to do and, you know, places to eat at and all that fun stuff. Great. So aloha, that means hello and goodbye, Correct. Correct. So, so I'm instead of signing off with onward and upward this this time around, I'm going to sign off in the spirit of of Maui and Lahaina saying aloha. How about this? I'll give you an even better one. Aloha, y'all, and ahui ho. Ahui ho means until we meet again. So that ties in my Hawaii, Texas, and see you soon. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I appreciate you again, Don, and thank you for being on the show. All right. Aloha. Thank you for listening to the Survive, Scale, Soar podcast. 
If you heard something that made a difference in your life today, share it with someone that might benefit and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Learn more about the host of this podcast and coaching services offered by Red Hawk Coaching by visiting www.redhawkcoaching.com.